what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. I want to get out there. I want to see the world. I want to experience things. All right. Welcome back. Meet Bridget is back and live on the mic, and we have something very, very special for you today. It is episode 30 of our inaugural season. I can't believe it. Asha, can you? It's no, crazy. episode 30. I can't believe the season is already coming to an end, and it has been such an honor. Honestly, I keep reflecting and that's the word that keeps coming back to my head and my heart is that it's been an honor to talk to so many incredible women and to realize all the things that we really have in common fundamentally and to hear these, especially the teenage stories um, that we're so passionate about at Bridget. It has been just really, really special. Yes, I completely echo those sentiments. And so... As a result, we decided that we wanted to do something a little bit different today. Asha, do you want to tell our listeners about it? Yes. So we were reflecting um, on the season and on this, you know, final episode uh, for now. We'll be coming back with another season. No worries. Um, But what we wanted to do, and we thought it would be really fun to kind of bring it back to our roots. Um, We've always been about the young woman and helping her feel confident and connected to other women. So we thought how cool would it be to um, bring a listener on and to get to know her um, and to have it all be kind of live on the mic and to um, challenge each other with some fun, challenging, interesting questions, um, but in a really casual way um, as a celebration of a wonderful season of connecting with other women and um, really this awesome little audio podcast movement that we're starting. And I really feel like we're going to take some fun places. So with that, we're so excited to welcome Jessica Wallace to the podcast. Hi, Jessica. Welcome, Jessica. And for those of you who cannot see this, which is everyone listening, Jessica has the most brilliant, beautiful, like pink hair that it's like the greatest thing I've ever seen. So it's great. Jessica, can you you. introduce yourself? Tell our listeners a little bit about you, how old you are, where you're from. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do have pink hair, if everyone (laughs) listening. (laughs) Yes, but most people can't see my hair right now. Um, Yeah, so I'm 22. Um, Just moved to LA three years ago. So, a little context. I was born and raised in the Deep South, um, Montgomery, Alabama, to be exact. you know, I grew up, um, had a wonderful childhood, great memories, and then came to LA for opportunity. And yeah, here I am. Amazing. I love it. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have one brother. His name is Cade and he's 17. Oh, like my little brother. Why LA? I'm just curious because moving from one, California and Alabama are wildly different. But two, it is very admirable and difficult to move from your hometown, a place where you're comfortable. Um, Sounds like you had a wonderful upbringing and that you're close to your family, but it's, that's a big move. So 
what was the thought process and the motivation behind that? Right. Yeah, I do. I get that question a lot here. So um, it was, it is, it was a huge move for me. And um, why I did it was really opportunity. One, I think, you know, growing up in the deep South, a, a lot of the assumptions you have around the deep South are probably correct. Like, um, it is very, everyone's very close to each other. It's very small town vibes, especially where I grew up. And, and so when I was young, something that was really huge in my life and something I realized from a very young age was that I didn't really fit in to the crowd that was, I was, that I grew up around, you know, everyone was very Southern. <laughs> I don't even know how to put it in another way. Like, um, very conservative, which is not a bad thing. Just, I just didn't grow up with the same values. And I was like, oh, I feel like I have a bigger calling than just to be small town girl, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I was just like, you know, I want to get out there. I want to see the world. I want to experience things. And a big thing that I grew up in was actually um, anime, which I think is a huge deal nowadays really popular but I grew up you know and like I said in a small town and, and like not many people knew about it and so that was my experience of getting away from people who look like me was seeing you know being introduced to this this culture and these people it was so interesting and so when I was young I decided oh that's what I want to do when I grow up and I think everyone has that revelation at some point in their life like oh that's it I love that and so that's where I found my passion and you know, I realized that there's absolutely no nothing to do with anime in the South. So <laughs> so I had to step out of that and I had to widen my horizons. And I said, you know, where can I go? And L.A. was the place. So it was a huge jump, um, but it was great. I don't regret anything. Like I I worked my butt off as soon as I got to L.A. to like get into the industry and made it happen. And L.A. is a tough place to live, but it's been so rewarding and I really loved it. So cool. So do you do you draw anime or, or like write or how are you kind of um, what part of that industry are you involved in? Yeah. So, no, I know that's like the first assumption people have, because when you think about the anime industry, um, you always think about animation. Right. Well, I'm talking more about like the Japanese anime industry. Like um, I grew up going to conventions with my friends and like just experiencing this whole other culture and like side of people I had never met. And they're so inclusive and so amazing. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do within this, but I want to be a part of this because it just as a at a, such a young age, I was like, I felt like I was a part of such a huge community that I had not experienced. And so I was like, okay, I can see myself doing this. And so, um, so I'm not an animator. I wish I'm not that talented, but I, I do love that. That's so amazing what those people do. But I decided like, oh, I'm going to go to school and get a bachelor's degree in marketing and, and take it from there. And I think that's like probably what a lot of people do. You know, they're like, oh, I don't know where to start. And so they start at school and then figure it out from there. And that's kind of what I did. Awesome. How, how old are you just for context for our listeners? Yeah, I am 22. Are, so are you, that would make you, did you finish school then recently or are you still? So I'm still currently in school back and forth a little bit. I, um, I did start college or like right after high school. I did that whole thing uh -huh. 
And then in the middle of college, I was like, well, I don't like this. And that's such a huge thing. I feel like a lot of people can relate to is being in college. And because that's just what you're taught, you know, going through high school, oh, you have to go to college because that's just how the rest of the country world, whoever does it right now, you know, go to college, get a degree, and then you go into the job field. But, you know, I was just like, I don't, I don't enjoy this. And I feel like I need to get the experiences. And so I had some people I knew in LA, and they were excited to mentor me and teach me about the industry. And so I was very lucky to have those people. But yeah, I just kind of just jumped right into it. (laughs) Very cool. That's very brave. I think that college is helpful in so many ways. It does kind of give you a next step for a lot of people when, especially when you're young and you're kind of like, I don't really quite know exactly what I want to do yet. Like I have an idea of my interests and everything, but um, to be able to kind of distinguish and make the choice that like, okay, in light of what I want, you know, I can go this way or I can go this way and then making a choice and being empowered about it, which sounds like that's what you've been able to do, which is great. Well, that's kind of fun because I, I have, um, we were going to like popcorn around little questions and I had one first, which I actually feel like is right along um, the veins of what you were going into. Um, so what work do you enjoy so much that makes you lose track of time? Uh, that's a hard but easy question. Like I have so many passions and um, just dig my holes into a lot of different things. Um, obviously, like I said, we're, I do professional work for the anime industry. So that's always been something I'm passionate about. But I have my little side gigs. Um, you know, I started my own like little herbal oil company on Etsy and it's very small but it's something I'm so passionate about and it came from my roots and so yeah wait that's so cool we'll have to share your Etsy store in our um show links um but that's so cool and entrepreneurial how long has your Etsy store been um up yeah I started my Etsy store in December of 2020 um it was just such a amazing experience like So a little context, my family is indigenous or my dad's side of the family was indigenous. And I remember growing up, like hearing all the stories and learning all the tribal, you know, remedies and stuff. And part of that for me that was instilled in me was, you know, coming up with these concoctions, if you want to call them that, but oils or herbal remedies to like help with different things and so I just started reading natural remedy books from my tribe that I had had for a while and you know really experiencing the nature behind it and then putting it into these mixtures and then yeah I fell fell in love with just everything about it the nature behind it the oils themselves and then you know how happy and rewarding it is so cool I love that what kind of work do you get lost in, Asha? You know, I, <laughs> this sounds cheesy, but honestly, anything that I collaborate on with you, Keish, <laughs> like I, it has been like the joy of my career to have this passion project with my actual best friend. Within that, I feel like when I actually like lose myself, lose a sense of time, I, I feel like when I'm writing or prepping for something, Um, We've been in various like pitch competitions for Bridget in the past and kind of preparing 
those pitches and, you know, all the documents and stuff for them. Um, but also like uh, researching and writing our bridge etymologies. I just like, just love going down rabbit holes and learning the origins of our words. I just, I love imagining um, <laughs> people in history and like different times <laughs> of the world and the way words were used differently. Like I just, um, lately that's been something that I've been getting totally lost in. I like writing and same, same. I, holes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I love leaning into my creativity, which, un, you know, when life gets really busy, I start to feel a little anxious and I realize it's because I need sort of that, that creative release. So, I mean, recently I've been doing a lot of flower arrangements and that's something that's really easy to get lost in. But traditionally, like writing, painting, anything, anything creative is, is really, really fun, including prepping for our bridge etymologies and our interviews and and daydreaming about our next steps together that's that's really fun for me okay well let's jump to a next popcorn question scariest thing to ever happen to you on the job and i'm very curious about this one because i don't know that much about the anime world so <laughs> i feel like it could be a very colorful interesting experience scariest or weirdest oh god um yeah while working in the industry i've had so many great experiences but also just like really terrifying experiences um i started with a company called loot crate um great company to start with they were so so informative and i learned so much there but um part of the Part of um, my job was to do events, and that is something that I hadn't really stepped into beforehand. So, um, you know, like a crazy person, I volunteered my team to run Comic-Con for our company, or just be part of, like, in charge of, like, the booth and everything that's involved with Comic-Con, if you guys have ever been to a Comic-Con. It's a lot. I haven't been there. I know that they're huge conventions. Yeah. (laughs) They are. And it's a lot to plan for. So yeah, I signed my team up for that. And I was very confident. Oh, we got this. Like, we can do this. Oh, my gosh. It was so terrifying. Like, um, the people, if you know anything about the industry at all, the you know, the fandom is real. Like, those people, they're hardcore, diehard fans. And they eat, breathe, sleep, anime, gaming, just that whole Comic-Con scene. So there's a lot of pressure a lot of pressure a lot of pressure to like be able to speak to the fandom because you're working behind the scenes you know um so that was something that was utterly terrifying to me like being in front of these people because i felt this pressure to you know perform like answer their questions and um know everything about everything almost and that's impossible (laughs) you possibly know everything but yeah so that was that was just something scary I've been through how did you prepare for that like once you were there and you realized like oh shit like this is real and it's happening and this is a giant convention how did you prepare yourself to actually step into that because you're here so I have to assume that it happened and that you made it through (laughs) you survived (laughs) I said I did I survived um, there's really no way to just like prepare for those things. I feel like so many of the people there, that's their lifestyle. That's the way they've chosen to like, that's their day to day. 
basically. And so um, part of preparing for me was just like entering this hole of knowledge I had gained from <laughs> my childhood or, you know, watching the shows they've seen and being able to speak to the industry and all their questions is, you know, how I tried to prepare. But there's no way you can truly prepare for people like like that in a good sense. Like they just are so hardcore. They they really want to teach me stuff and I love to learn from them. That's a good like attitude even to kind of switch because I feel like in, in, especially when you're going into something new, that pressure to be like, okay, I'm jumping right into this. And in an ideal world, I would just walk in and be an expert already. But it's like, okay, it's all right for me to not know everything. And even the people that I'm working with, you know, if I tell them like, actually, I don't, I don't know that, like, let me figure it out and get back to you. Or why don't, if you know more about it, like, I would love to learn from you. People really respond to that kind of transparency too. It's a really like smart takeaway. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been in some very compromising situations at work, especially during my ER days. Like there were lots of times people would yell and scream and um, shout obscenities and all of that, but. Less life or death crazy scenarios. I was going to go straight to one that like when I was working in investment management, like my appendix almost burst while I was literally working and I had to like leave the office and go home and eventually to the hospital and stuff. But then I started thinking, I was like, actually, I've been in a lot of weirder, weirder <laughs> scenarios um, in like my modeling career, um, weird and good and bad ways, I guess. But I think one of the strangest, and I think that this is just important to like share this kind of thing because, um, you know, there are a lot of really wonderful opportunities in modeling, acting, social media, and beyond these days. And one can have like a very serious and successful career, but also have like really strange experiences. And I um, was with a very reputable agency at the time and my agent uh, sent me a casting that was supposed to be for the iPhone. Um, so I was like, this is amazing. I'm going on an Apple casting. Little did I know I showed up and it was actually for like an iPhone app. Um, and then they start like describing what the audition is for. And I start realizing like, okay, wait, this app is like a virtual girlfriend. Like literally you're going to be like the virtual girlfriend. And then they were like just having you um, audition, but like be doing things that they ask you to do, like flirting with the camera or like sitting on a, a laundry machine and like pretending it's like pleasing you. And I just remember like listening to this rundown. And at first I was like, I have to stay here because my agents, my agents sent me here and my agents are from a reputable agency. But then I was just like watching it go down and I was like, I don't, it doesn't matter like who sent me here. I don't need to be here. And I just, I left. But that situation was like, and I ended up, I, I called my agent afterwards and I was like, you realize what this casting was? And they played dumb. They, they like pretended once I told them what it was, they're like, we didn't send you that. I'm like, I have the email. And it just got so awkward that they just like denied it completely. So I, I just kind of let it pass. But looking back and realizing that they were probably like kind of avoiding liability and just didn't vet that audition out completely before sending me on it, <laughs> I, I can kind of see it more clearly now that I'm more of a mature adult. But yeah, there are... Um, You're like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. This 
it was bizarre, you know, it's like, even though I had a credible representative at that point, I, I realized then that I was like, okay, this is my career. And even if people are recommending I go on things, like I am the one that filters whether or not I consent to things. Which side note, listen to your gut. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Oprah has like a phenomenal podcast about this, but like, if you feel it in your gut, don't do it listen to like your instincts, never go to the second location. <laughs> I know. Straight, oh, that, I've heard that one. And I'll right? link, we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll link it. I know. Bless you, Oprah. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that is something that as women we are especially gifted with is that that gut feeling. That intuition. Yeah. And I've had multiple situations like that, yeah. even though I had very like legit, credible, real jobs, you know, in the modeling world. Um, there were those sprinkled in too. And I think that in this world of multimedia careers and, you know, different new workspaces and stuff, you have to be extra vigilant to kind of filter what um, you will and will not do. Actually, can we talk about this for a second? Have Because I've had many compromising situations, not just in the workplace, but I think that's important to share. Like we're, the three of us, are in completely different industries, come from completely different backgrounds. And I have a feeling that the three of us have some stories. For sure. It's so interesting that you guys touch on this topic. And I think, you know, with the whole, you know, the Me Too movement and everything, everyone bringing these situations to life, it's made it more easy to navigate, like what's right from wrong. But that is something I have had trouble with being young and in the business world and starting off. And I think this is so relatable for so many girls who don't know, you know, you are putting these situations in these, whether it be your business or your job or just anything. And someone will say something or do something and you question, even though that's something you may not even question in your personal life. Like if someone said that to you in your personal life, you'd be like, Oh, that was a little, I was a little off, but because you're in this business situation, you're like, should I respond differently? Should I, is, am I in the wrong? And, you know, back to what you were saying about the gut feeling is that something that I think I've had to really work on is knowing when to stand my ground because it is, it can be very intimidating being young and starting off in the industry and not knowing when to say no and put your foot down. Do you have like specific examples? Yeah, I do. So at my last company, I won't say the name. I've been at a few different companies, but at my last company, um, I worked with a lot of great people and I had a male who was very kind to me and probably about 10 to 20 years older than me, somewhere in that range. I'll say 15 to 20 because I'm not exactly sure. Um, But, you know, I was fresh into the business world. I thought everyone was so kind to me and everyone wanted to help me learn. And he, I, and I felt like he took advantage of that. You know, you know, um, he started out, you know, telling me this, oh, here, I can help you with this. I can help you learn how to do these type things. Like, Oh, you don't understand this. Come here with me and we'll talk about it. And I was like, of course, you know, as you want to, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know, you know, I didn't want to feel like I was behind. So I would let, I would give him the opportunity to 
talk to me, whether that be in the office. And then after a little bit of time, he was asking for my personal phone number. And, and, you know, in my personal, like in my mind, I'm like, that's a little bit of a red flag. But I was like, it's my first time. I don't know if this guy's like, what if I'm looking at it the wrong way? What if I'm the one who's assuming that he wants something he doesn't, you know? So I gave him my personal phone number and and he was like, I will only contact you to help you with your career. Don't worry about it. You know, he made it very clear. And I was like, okay, well, he understands because he said that. So I did. And after some time, I just felt like he started grooming me in a weird way. Like he was contacting me very often. And he was saying like, do you want to talk on the phone? I can talk, let's talk about your career and how I can help you. And I was in a stage of my career with that company where I was looking to leave. And he had a lot of connections. He had worked at like very large companies beforehand and had a lot of people who I wanted to speak to. So I was like, oh, this guy could really help me in my career get to somewhere I want to be. And that's usually how it starts, I feel like, is I'm like, oh, do I need to, you know, please this person so that he can help me get to where I want to be? And and not like in a sexual manner, but just like, you know, answering the phone when he called or texting him back late at night when he was texting me. And And for a long time, I was like, is this wrong or is this right? I don't know. And so after a while, you know, I got scared. I was like, how do I address this situation? Because I know that this guy is stepping over lines now that I don't want him to step over. So it did. It took a lot um, for me to reach out to my coworkers and say, hey, this person is overstepping these boundaries with me. And I don't know what to do about it because I'm so new to this industry and I need help. And um, ended up leaving the company and, and I made it very clear to that person that I didn't want nothing to do with him. But still to this day, like I still have regrets about it because I feel like if someone would have told me previ- like prior to that situation what to do or even some kind of knowledge on it, I felt like I could have handled it so much better. And I feel like that's such a situation that girls in the industry or in the business world face nowadays is like I said before, knowing when to say no and when to put your foot down and be like, that's not okay. Well, I think it's very nuanced and you are very articulate about the way that you describe this, which I'm, I'm so grateful for because I think that that shedding light on your perspective is exceedingly helpful. I mean, it really, that is the reality is like on the one hand, you don't want to be presumptive and assume that somebody's chasing you because they're interested. And on the other hand, you can tell in your gut that something doesn't feel right. And truthfully, you know, especially for somebody just starting out, you don't know until you know, until you learn these lessons. And it's not normal. Like your bosses and coworkers should not be contacting you at night unless you've explicitly said, hey, this is a friendship. And even then, you're always allowed to say no. Um, but I mean, I those lessons have been hard learned for me too. I I had a really similar situation when I was just starting out. I was actually working while I was still in school. And it's a little bit different. They, you know, it was a group of people that wanted to go out together. And I thought, oh, this sounds great. Like I, you know, was in college, everyone was starting to go out to bars and whatever. And 
Um, there was a guy there that I worked with who was always so nice at work, always so accommodating, always wanted to help out. And then that night, you know, obviously people were drinking. He followed me into the bathroom and started trying to make out with me and like fondle me. And I felt so uncomfortable. And I remember thinking, did I do this to myself because I was receptive to how friendly he was at work? Is this my fault? And I pushed him off and I said no. And and as he was leaving, very disgruntled, he said, you know, you're such a tease. Like, this is your fault. You did this. And, you know, and I believed him for a little while because, you know, your first instinct is to feel guilty. But no means no. If you feel uncomfortable, it's not right. And I think that um, sharing of these stories among women is super powerful because it, it'll look different in every scenario, but it happens in every single industry. Um, but hearing kind of different iterations of it, I think when you're going through something like that, having a reference point, it's like, actually, this kind of sounds like something that my friend went through or something that I heard on this podcast. Um, and maybe it, maybe it isn't right. Just enough to like raise that little red flag. Um, I think that it's super powerful and that's, that's honestly like what we're all about is like the more stories we can tell, um, the more reference points we can have as women. So thank you guys for sharing those stories. I think they're powerful. Yeah. And what I think is so admirable about what you guys are doing is bringing this to light for so many young girls. So thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you. I think at the heart of everything is just communicating the f out of everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Over communication. <laughs> Sometimes you'll fall, but like I'm all right with it. Okay. Shall we popcorn to the next question? Sure. Jessica, do you have one that you have in mind? I have tons of questions, but oh. I'm trying to like strategically pick. <laughs> yeah. I love it. One to go for. So this is an interesting question that I wanted to ask you guys. I assume we're from different generations and um, I'm still considered Gen Z. And so from your guys' perspective being, I don't want to say old, you're not old, but older than me. Millennials. <laughs> yeah, millennials. Uh, what is some advice you would give to my generation? You know, I feel like there's this huge gap and it's very polarizing between Gen, Gen Z and millennials. And there's kind of this war between us, but I feel like, as a Gen Z, I feel like I have so much to learn from you guys and you have so much feedback that I would love to hear your, your guys' advice for my generation. I feel like it's difficult to give advice to the next generation because the context is so different. Um, I look at the world we live in and I'm overwhelmed by it and I'm in my early 30s, you know, and Uh, The accessibility of so much information can be so powerful, but also kind of intimidating. Um, The need for everyone to have such a public personal brand, I feel like can be a lot. Um, So while I I hesitate to give advice, a thing I think about a lot is just that with Gen Z, from the beginning, you guys have been digital native, you know, from like (laughs) as soon as you're able to use a phone. People are having profiles and um, just having a lot more of a public life than we necessarily did. I mean, our generation 
experienced like the beginning of the internet and like cell phones and stuff. So there Dial was, up and you know, a lot of unique like challenges to that and like MySpace profiles. I would, I would say just having a little bit of grace with yourself and not necessarily having to form your whole personal brand and what you're going to stand for from the gate. Uh, I think there are clearly a lot of people that have already like done that. Some of these YouTubers and different things and like, whatever, that's cool. And, um, you know, a way to have a career and lead with a message. But I think that the pressure to do that can be um, really great. Um, and, you know, things you put out on the internet, like this, I feel so like old saying this, but it's like when you put things on the internet, they, they live there, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> forever. And I, I think that, um, just always having that in mind and being okay with like, I don't have to document everything that I do and it's okay to like not have those, those questions solved in public from the get-go. What do you think, Keish? Oh man, you made some great points and I couldn't have said it better. I think everything that's out there is out there permanently. Even if you don't see it initially, it's all discoverable. I think to add on to what you're saying in terms of giving yourself grace or or in terms of this next generation, you don't have to settle on one iteration of who you are. Like it's such a beautiful freedom that we all have to be able to explore all these different facets of being. Like initially starting my career felt like I was all over the place because I have all these different interests, but I'm starting to really come into this place of appreciation for the fact that I have all of these interests and talents. And I may still joke that I'm a jack of all trades, master of none, but I think it keeps me curious and and fresh. And I, I don't have to put it all out there on the internet or have a profile for every little thing that I do, even though the pressure is there. On the other side of that, I think Gen Z is so impressive. I think we have so much to learn from each other on the same, like, on the other face of the card where we're saying to the next generation, um, this is what you should learn. I feel like I could learn just as much in terms of being open and transparent about who I am and celebrating who I am publicly and not being so afraid of what that appearance is because this is the world we live in. It's all out there. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't like once it's out there, that doesn't mean I have to commit to that forever. And that's who I am. And that's all I'll ever be. So, I mean, there's just so much to celebrate. Your your generation's creativity and fearlessness and brashness is continuously impressive to me. Um, but yeah, I agree. Give yourself grace. Yeah, it's super inspiring, honestly, because I, I feel like there have been all these different iterations of what does it mean to have like a profile on any of these different platforms? And you know, it's kind of gone through these phases where like, oh, it was the bloggers and then everything was super filtered and curation of your feed. And then like now there's this like really interesting, cool backlash where it's like, okay, filters are obvious and dumb, you know, you know, and be more authentic and you don't need a professional editor for your videos. Like just kind of put it out there. Um, and that's exciting to me. And I think that's been influenced by by Gen Z. So I'm grateful to it. I'm excited by it. And I honestly respect it. I'm constantly inspired to explore my creativity because of everything that the next generation has created. 
but I am a Scorpio and I love my secrets. So there's that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I have another question that actually is kind of linked to that one. Um, what personality trait do you find attractive in other people that you don't have in yourself? Oh, okay. I can answer that because it does really tie in with what we were talking about. I have the such a short attention span. And, and that sounds so goofy because I know what you're looking for. Like, you know, like a different answer. But that is something I have continuously struggled with. Like, and I think that is to, you know, attest to being Gen Z as I grew up with a cell phone in my hand. And my attention span is probably a lot shorter than like, the older generation. And it is, and I've noticed it continuously, like I can't concentrate on things very well. Um, so when I meet people like, millennials or just anyone in my life who I feel like can really concentrate and do things effectively I feel like wow that's so amazing I want to be the one I grow up <laughs> that's such a good point and I mean I think about that like literally I have a one-year-old daughter and obviously like I'm on my phone when I'm around her like I work from home most days I only have help a couple of days a week so a lot I have my phone around her and but I try not to like let her hold it. I don't like put her in front of it, you know, but she's still like, she'll find it and she's already fascinated by it, you know? And I'm like, well, this is going to be a part of her life. You know, I can't completely shelter her from it, but I do have this fear. I'm like, I think all these devices and stuff, like they have shortened our attention spans. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's definitely a skill. Everything's a muscle, right? Like true. I would start with time blocking. I'll, I'll send you a link for something. But just start with like practicing, focusing on something for 15 minutes and then like moving on to the next task because breaks are important. Breaks are a way of your brain telling yourself that you need rest and that you need to reset. Um, and then, you know, if you start day one concentrating for five minutes, then the next week you can move on to seven minutes and then 10 minutes the next week. And in a couple years when you're in your early 30s, <laughs> you'll, when you're old like that. you'll have it a little more figured out right i actually i i would also say though that concentration is something that i envy in other people as well and i i would say now that my siblings probably look at me in there they probably think to themselves wow you really are able to hone in on this and and you're patient um but it's all practice <laughs> it's, it's really practice it's or it's not natural is what I mean <laughs> that makes me feel so much better and because of you know social media and now TikTok and Instagram the instant gratification of you know swiping and swiping and swiping and seeing things continuously I think has made it so much worse and I can't focus on anything so <laughs> it's great to hear that there's tools for that yes another thing like you know, I think it can be any kind of physical activity, but like yoga or even like going for a run or walk, something that I, I like yoga or even boxing because it um, kind of commands you to be right there in order to make it through. But I feel like having a yoga practice for me has kind of really forced me to be um, fully in at one thing, you know, like when I'm in a yoga class or a boxing class for that matter, like if you're, you're not paying attention to the moment that's right in front of you, like you're it's going to be a lot more difficult. So I think even practicing 
outside of just concentrating on a task, like concentrating with your physical body on one thing at a time, um, kind of helps set that pattern for, for other things too. That's such a great point. I think that one thing that I am impressed by continuously, and this also ties into our last question, is when I see somebody who has the ability to just um, shine with confidence and articulate themselves well and command a room, I think that's always so impressive because I think naturally I'm an introverted extrovert or am I an extroverted introvert? I, I need to recharge on my own, (laughs) whichever one that is, but (laughs) so it's always impressive. I've always been naturally the type of person to read a room before I dip my toes into a situation or really allow my personality to come through. That's my, my shyness and my natural baseline. So it's super impressive when other people really are outgoing. And when I, when I need to stand in my confidence, that's what I try to emulate as those people. I feel like mine is um, kind of similar to that in that I really admire people that um, don't like question themselves out of action. You know, like I really admire, peop- admire people that just just do like wh- whether it's the right thing or, the you know, maybe they make a mistake or whatever, but they just keep doing and they're not spending time um, kind of thinking them out of the situation. Like I've definitely struggled with thinking through, like I I work in real estate right now and a huge part of real estate for any level of the business is prospecting and reaching out to new clients. And I constantly am like, well, I don't want to like annoy them or what if they're busy or in the middle of something and I, and you know, I reach out to them then, or what if I offend them or what if I do? And it's like, you can almost just like come up with all these reasons for like why you're not going to be successful before you even do anything. And I just like, <laughs> it's th- then you actually do something and it's like, wait, that all these things I worried about ahead of time, most of the time were not even relevant at all. So I admire people that are just, they just go. They don't self-doubt before they do things. Me too. Speaking of that, let's talk about failure a little bit. What's one time you felt like you failed and now that you're on the other side of it, how do you how did you get out of it in retrospect or how did you put one foot in front of the other after that failure? That's a hard question. I feel like I've had so many failures. Probably everyone feels the exact same way. You know, you have your continuous failures through life, but I'll get deep for a second. So, (laughs) so something I have had such a hard time with lately is I recently lost my dad um, in December of last year. And that has been a very traumatizing situation for me, but I feel like a lot of people can relate to, you know, losing someone, especially through COVID. So many people lost so many people. And um, something I've really had that I've really struggled with is feeling like I have failed my father in a weird way, even though like in my head, I know that I didn't and, my family reassures me like there's there's no possible way that you could have disappointed or failed him. But I like I told you guys before I moved away from my hometown three years ago and I to to chase my dreams basically. 
and um, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer two years ago. So I had already left and started my adventure and my dad was super supportive and super go do your thing. You know, like we got your back. We're here. I love you. Do it. And so I did it. And when he was diagnosed, I was like, I have to come back home. You know, I have to be with you and, and I want to be here. And he just kept telling me, no, like, no, absolutely not. Like I would be more miserable if you were here knowing that I was keeping you from like your hopes and your dreams. So I stayed out in LA and I did my thing and I challenged the world, but at the same time, I struggle with my inner self, you know, feeling like I was failing my dad in another way. Like, ah, oh, there's this person who I love so deeply back home who needs me, but he wants me to be here and he wants me to chase my dreams. So that is something I have struggled with in terms of failures and success is feeling like I have failed my family in a weird way, but knowing I have to know within myself that that I'm doing exactly what he wanted me to do, which is chasing my dreams and, and really running for it. So in a way it's a failure, but it's, it's a success at the same time. Like I feel like, and I know that he was super proud of me and that's what keeps me going day to day is being like, I got to get to the next, you know, the next step and impress him more from wherever he is. So, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Jessica. I'm so, so sorry about your loss. There are no words. Grief is a wild thing. And you couldn't have said it better. I think you gave your dad a gift that he was asking of you, which was difficult. I think, you know, a lot of the hardest rightest things in life are often the most difficult and uncomfortable to lean into but ultimately the gift you were able to give your dad was exactly what he was asking for and that was to pursue your dreams in your career so that he could see that and those are his memories of you that he gets to keep and he gets to see you establish his legacy so i mean that's very impressive and brave and wonderful and thank you for sharing that thank you jessica like that your your story is so moving and i can't imagine the feeling of loss of your father and going through pancreatic cancer it just um yeah thank you for sharing your story of course if i can touch anyone you know anyone out there who's going through something similar, which I feel like in the state of the world is very relatable at this time. Like, you know, absolutely rewarding to me. Absolutely. And I'm just so impressed that you are able to transform um, these feelings into something positive. There's this principle in psychology called cognitive dissonance, where you have two opposing theories going on in your head. And I think that is so much more common than people realize where you have so much multiplicity in your own life and in your own personality that there are moments where you will have one part of you that's saying this is the path and then another part that's saying this is the path and they're completely opposing just like what you're describing and neither of them are wrong and i think that's the difficult part about having free will and choice and intelligence and intellect is that 
we get to live all of these really difficult experiences in like a multitude of different ways and we get to think about it um, not just from one perspective but from many and it's both a gift and a curse (laughs) and you know you're doing beautifully and I absolutely think a lot of people will relate to that I mean I I certainly when I lost my grandpa going through college I failed out of my nursing program and I almost didn't go back because I felt like the grief made things impossible and I wish thinking back that I would have had the strength that you exhibited to say no I should probably continue to put one foot in front of the other I eventually did it took took me a little bit longer to come to that realization that I wanted to finish something. Yeah, you definitely made me sound like superwoman, but I'm not like, I do have my days. Like, you know, I understand completely what you're saying. Like grief, grief controls a lot of your life, especially after, after you lose someone so powerful in in your life. And Whereas I am learning to balance, you know, right? It does control me a lot of the time because there's no way to navigate grief. There's no book that gives you the solution. So it's day by day, but yeah. I can totally relate to that. Um, I feel like a part of grief, you know, can cause you to try to like rationalize what happened? And sometimes like your your connections don't even really make sense. Like I also lost my grandpa in college. And at the time I had also like been navigating, ending, you know, a serious relationship and felt like I had just kind of failed the person that I was with and um, was going through a really confusing time personally. And then my grandfather passed away. And in my head, which feels felt selfish, which I got even more down on myself after that. But um, in my head, I was like, maybe he died because I did something wrong, you know, or I let him down, you know, or I wasn't paying enough attention to him and I was all in my own worries. And I don't know, you, your, your mind tries to just draw connections to try to make sense of something that you can't make sense of that is just hard, you know, hard and real and emotional. Um, but yeah, Keish, do you have another, um, like a story of a failure? Oh my gosh. So many, (laughs) I would say, and this is one we've kind of touched on a little bit, but it is, it's, it's ongoing, um, is my pregnancy loss. I, for those of you who have not listened to our founders episodes, I, was pregnant earlier this year and I lost my pregnancy um, around the three month mark, which is right, is just going into the second trimester. It's right about that time for a lot of people in the United States and in, in our American culture. That's kind of where you see people feel comfortable enough to talk about the gender and talk about the fact that they're having a baby and I I had a wonderful pregnancy and it just so happened that what it it just so happened that that particular pregnancy did not take there was something wrong chromosomally that had occurred at the time of um, conception and so it was sort of doomed from the start if you will 
Um, so we've been, my husband and I have been trying to get pregnant since then every month diligently. And I've done everything from spreadsheets to not thinking about it, to testing my ovulation, to having the pee sticks everywhere. And I've driven poor Kevin crazy. He has once turned around and said to me, I am not a piece of meat. <laughs> in a very <laughs> offended way. And, um, you know, there's moments I have to laugh about it. And then there, there are other moments where, you know, when it's happening and you've done everything right and you've done all the planning or you've done none of the planning and you've led it to chance because that's when the magic happens. And I, you, but you can't help but feel each time like there's a failure occurring, like I'm failing to bring you know, to make this happen, that there's something wrong with my body, that there's something that I don't deserve it. Um, and they're all, you know, ultimately irrational things. And getting pregnant is a lot harder than everybody thinks it is. And, and life, you know, is, is a miracle, you know, when, when, and if it's time. And so who knows, <laughs> who knows when it'll happen. But that that is my most recent sense of failure where I have to really sit down and give myself these deep pep talks and really like stand in front of the mirror and think deeply to myself about the truth and the fact that, you know, life is difficult. Grief comes in waves. Um, some of the shitty times are really, really shitty, but the good times are going to be really, really good. And so, you know that's that's a massive that's one failure and one way that I kind of pep talk myself out of it is just to sit and meditate on the fact that you know you got to keep going there's no alternative as my uh, dad would say he raised a family of sharks and sharks have to keep swimming <laughs> otherwise they die which I actually you know I'm gonna look that up I don't know if it's true but in my head whenever I feel like <laughs> if you stop swimming yeah if you stop swimming you die <laughs> like I I don't know if that's actually biologically true of a shark but I I do know that when I'm having moments of self-doubt I just think to myself you got to keep going um it doesn't mean you ignore the feeling um or that you don't acknowledge the hurt or the failure or journal about it or write about it or think about it or talk about it but you got to keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if it's by like a millimeter. And something I'm like kind of hearing in both of your stories, you know, is that like failure or how we perceive our own failures, you know, can feel so undeniable when you're going through it. Like, it's like, how could I not feel like a failure, you know, in this moment? But then when you hear s someone else talking about it, like I listen to both of your stories and like, oh my gosh, like neither of those things feel, to me, they don't sound like failure at all. They sound like bravery and persistence and, and just real life, you know, and that there's, there's nothing failed about either of your scenarios, you know, but when we're in it, it, it's, um, it feels different than what other people might see, I know. you know, impossible. What about you, Asha? I mean, I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like I have failures like every single day. I don't know. Um, as a mom, um, I constantly fight the feeling of failure in whatever I choose to do because 
like the opportunity cost of my time is, you know, if I'm choosing to focus on my career, I'm not with my child. So, you know, in moment to moment, I'm kind of failing my child because I could be more of a mom to her. Or if I'm taking time to be with my baby, then I'm stepping away from, um, you know, a really competitive boss lady career path. And um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly struggling with those mini failure feelings every day. Um, on like a more macro level, I feel like um, I have tried a lot of different careers. Um, and I think that I look back and I'm like, well, if I were to do it differently, I don't know if I could do it differently. Cause I think that's just part of my personality is I could just have to dive into things and try them for myself and learn a lesson from them. But I remember when I was working in investment management, which was something I really was a big investment for me. Cause I, I had gone from working as a full-time model to working in investment management and getting my stockbroker's license, which was like a biatch of an exam. And I just really changed my whole life to have this new career. And I think it was a, a, just a little over a couple years into it. And like I'd mentioned before, like my appendix almost burst and um, I got shingles and it was just not the right fit for me. Um, and it got to the point where like I couldn't even navigate like what I was going to do next while I was still currently in that job. So I just felt so overwhelmed and stressed and physically ill because that's, that wasn't the right role for me. Um, so I, I had to, I like put, I resigned without having another, um, job immediately lined up. Thankfully, you know, the world, I feel like you manifest things like an opportunity literally popped up two weeks later, which was amazing. But I definitely felt like a failure in that moment. Cause I was like, okay, like I just changed my whole life for this role. And now it's like, it's so obvious that it's wrong for me, but I feel like I'm, failing by having to like do something else now, you know, and, and switch gears. So, um, I think like, I, I feel like I have seen wasting time as like a failure mm -hmm. or kind of seen that way. I can relate to that, but <laughs> from the outside, you look pretty good, Asha. <laughs> Jessica, I think it's your turn for a question. Yeah. So on the contrary to that, I like to hear what you guys would describe as your biggest accomplishments. Like, what do you look back on your life and think like, oh, I if I didn't do anything right in my life, I definitely did that right. You know? Oh, I, I honestly, and I don't know if this is even appropriate, like if I can make them my own successes, but I feel like my uh, I see my most successful things in life as like my deepest relationships. Um, and just uh, how, whatever role I've played in being able to be a part of them, um, feels really successful. Like I feel so happy in my marriage. And I think that, um, you know, I guess I am part, half of that, but I am, I feel successful in that I had waited you know, to find the person that really felt right, you know, and helped me feel like my full self. Um, and then I think the other, you know, that my friendships, like my friendship with Keish, which has been so fruitful, um, family relationships, but then, I mean, the crowning success, I think for me, um, was having a baby, honestly, like 
I knew it would be a big moment, but it's just, um, I've always respected women, but going through the process of like birth really like put every, everything in a new perspective. I would agree with that. I think I feel very successful. I, I feel like the richest part of my life are the relationships that I have. Um, I feel like I'm very successful at showing up. I think it's it's more, so for me, I think it's more of the trait. I feel like I show up. Um, and sometimes that can get kind of overwhelming. I have a really big family. My mom's one of eight kids. I'm one of four. I'm the oldest of four. There's 17 cousins, 11 grandkids. And um, I often find myself sort of at the crux of every situation. And I don't know if that's because I'm not, one, I have learned patience. And two, I'm not incredibly reactionary when things happen. I think I, I don't know if it's just like living chaotically and then like having a job that was chaotic for a while, like teaches you how to pause and like be calm in a lot of situations. And I think over the last several years, a lot of people have leaned on that. So <laughs> it definitely, it definitely takes energy to do it. But I, when I think about the action of being there for so many people, I feel very successful in that regard and I feel really good about it. And like my heart swells being able to have so many rich relationships, including, you know, my deep friendships and um, developing Bridget with you, Asha. I think that from a professional standpoint is one of the most rewarding and wonderful things. And I would say being able to sit here today and say six months ago, we were working and tinkering on this idea to today having actually set our intentions forth and now we're producing our 30th episode of you know season one of meet bridget i that feels really really good what about you jessica what what do you feel most successful about in your life right now yeah that's a great question so i mean besides what i have created as far as my career path and working in business at such a young age, which I feel like is such an accomplishment for me. And I feel so grateful to be able to be where I am right now in my life and my career. But back to what you said, Asha, because she is like something I really take as success is my relationships in my life. And not only with my family, but I feel like I don't know what I did to manifest my boyfriend, but he has definitely taken on such a huge role in my life. And yeah. Such great relationships. So I definitely get that. I like what I like what Asha said too about being one half of that. I think that is such a great point. <laughs> it takes two to tango. I mean, I have a great husband, but I hope he would say he has a great wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, that that is something that it's like you know, to, to be in a really good relationship, you kind of realize it's like, okay, you can't really have a good friendship or a good romantic relationship until you kind of at least recognize that you're like, I am capable of being a good friend. I am capable of being a good partner. Um, and that I do bring things to the table and I deserve to have things, you know, reciprocated. 
I, I've been having some conversations um, with some important people to me about kind of like, what does it take to, what does it mean to be, you know, a loving partner or a, a wonderful friend? And um, it's interesting how people kind of define that differently. It's like, okay, being selfless, like putting, putting others in front of yourself um, is fantastic, but it's also like, that only really works if like the person you're with is also being selfless. I also do want to point out too, I've had this experience recently and it's, it's been a double-edged sword for me. And I don't know if either of you can relate to this. I'm interested to see if you can, but, uh, on the tail of what I was just talking about, because I have so many relationships that I'm so richly invested in, there are moments where I have to take a step back and I've not always been able to do this in my life, but I've realized that when I don't take the time for myself, I hit a point of burnout and then I'm no good to myself, my husband, my family, and definitely not my friends. So there, especially this last year, because of the woolly mammoth that it's been with the pandemic and with everything that that comes with, life aside, um, I've had to kind of take a step back from some friendships and I felt really, 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 really guilty about not being able to be everywhere and anywhere that I would normally want to be. And I think that that's been met with some derision in a lot of cases. Like, you know, there are people that feel like I haven't been as loving or as present and I feel so bad when that happens because the reality is like you, you'd like to be there for everybody at the same time, but you just can't, you have to take a moment to, you know, pour back into your own well. Otherwise there's not going to be anything left. And, you know, I think that I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. There's no perfect answer. There's like everything comes at a cost, but, um, but yeah, I think being able to step back and take some time for yourself is very necessary too. I think that kind of like connects nicely to, um, you know, Jessica, you asked about like, oh, if you know, millennials had any advice for Gen Z, you know, what would it be? I feel like um, with how public everything kind of is these days, um, it can kind of feel like you're giving a lot of yourself, whether it's on your profiles or in the ways you're interacting with all your friends or whatever, I think that um, taking moments to like be there for show up for yourself, you know, um, is so, so important. Yeah. Start booking spa days. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't really find, I didn't really know the value of that until I think more recently, like more recent years, but I wish I'd done it sooner. I know you can, I mean, even in your own bathroom, like just throw a little of those little Korean facials on like those, any little moments I feel like can be feeling like that. For me, I feel like it's been, um, so important when I feel kind of spread too thin or exercising or even just walking, like it doesn't have to be any like kind of crazy workout, but, um, taking that time to kind of just still the mind has been really helpful. How do you recharge Jessica? Yeah, in the crazy world that is today, you know, social media and everything you guys are talking about, recharging is so important and something I've stressed 
so hard to people around me and people I love is, you know, you've got to prioritize your mental health, you know, because that's, it's so, it's so easy to get away from. And so recharging for me is stepping away from all the tools, all the social media, the laptops, the cell phones, just putting it all down and, and really being present, whether that be getting out of my house and going on a walk or whether that be like sitting down with my family and FaceTiming or, you know, having dinner with my boyfriend, just any way to recharge and get away from the craziness that is <laughs> life. Like, yeah, lots of different ways. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I actually asked this not even knowing myself. So <laughs> what about <laughs> you go first, Jessica? <laughs> After my dad passed away, I was going through this like very deep state of like, where, what am I doing with my life? And like, I was down, of course, you go through these, these different stages of grief where I was just feeling very low. Like, what am I, what am I doing? And I remember, this is so, so cheesy. I was watching The Legend of Korra, which is like a show on Netflix. And the, one of the characters in the show quotes verbatim, he says, it's only when we hit our lowest points when we're open to the greatest change. And for some reason, I took that so to heart. I like immediately heard it and I wrote it down on a little notepad and I stuck it on the wall. And every day I wake up and I look at that notepad and I just remember like, you know, no matter how hard it gets, like, this is my opportunity. The vulnerability is my opportunity to make something amazing. And so I, that's, it wasn't an actual person, but it definitely was great advice. <laughs> so. It is. It is. It's great. It's great advice. And I think it's so true. I think it's a very classic rendering of what is that? The night's always darkest before the dawn, which brings me to my dad, who both my parents are wonderful, but my dad just always really had has a way of saying things that have stuck in my head like the shark thing which is still gonna look that up as soon as we're done recording but also he he would say something similar where often in life the most uncomfortable moments the most uncomfortable choice that's that's the direction that you need to go in and what he was saying basically is just that you know, the moments where you feel real heavy self-doubt or moments of real failure or, you know, lack of self-assuredness, those are those moments where growth is inevitable. Like you learn so much about who you are in the moments just after you feel those senses of like extreme discomfort because those are the moments where you have the opportunity to propel yourself forward and decide what direction you're going to go in and it doesn't really matter what direction you go in as long as you keep going i love that i feel like i've gotten so many good pieces of advice but there is there was one that was like a like a you know those moments where you're just not ready and then it's so good um i was <laughs> i was like whoa like can you tattoo that on my body um i was literally i was sitting in a plane um on my way to like a modeling job during college. And I was next to this girl that I used to work with all the time. Her name was Tamara. And I was in a relationship at the time that I was like considering ending. And 
I was kind of like asking her, I was like, well, what do you think? You know? And I was kind of describing a scenario and stuff. And she just, she's like quiet, listening, listening. And then she looks at me and she's like, you know, I think that usually when people get to the point that they're asking someone else for an opinion on something, they're just looking for confirmation of something they already know. And I just sat there and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, because at that point I did know that like I, you know, it wasn't the right relationship for me. And I just looked at her and I was like, that's so good. And I, I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where I've thought to like go get someone else's opinion or advice on, on a decision I needed to make. And I was like, okay, wait, the fact that I'm reaching out for this, someone else's opinion, like usually at that point, like you already know, and you're just looking for confirmation. Uh, I love that. It goes right back to Oprah, your gut instincts. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Don't go to the second location. (laughs) Also, don't run by yourself with headphones in. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you ever see women running in the dawn with both headphones in. This is a good piece of advice. Somebody told me that sometimes they'll have both headphones in so that nobody bothers them, but they won't turn them on so that they know what's going on. I know who it was. It was one of um, one of my family members who used to commute via like BART and take rapid transit in San Francisco. And so she would walk from like downtown to like the BART station, get on the BART, go back home like across the be- the bridge. And everybody does that. So it's not like she was doing something that was inherently dangerous, but not like running is inherently dangerous either. But she, you know, she would have her ear pods in and she'd be like, I just have them in so that people don't approach me, but I don't have anything playing so that I, I know if somebody's coming up behind me or somebody's trying to mess with me. Let's see. I think it's my turn for a question. Describe the last time you cried. Every day. <laughs> well, I say every day. That's a little exaggerated, but I do find myself crying at least two to three times a week. And for a long time, I was like, is there something wrong with me? But, you know, back to what I was telling you guys, like, I am still going through stages of grief. And I don't shame myself about it anymore. You know, like, my therapist has, you know, done a great job of reassuring me, like, listen to your body. This is exactly what it wants to do. And you should just let it happen. And so I do cry a lot. And sometimes... I cry about my dad and my situation, but sometimes I cry because I feel overwhelmed or anxious or just like in need of, I just need to cry, just cry it out, you know? And that's, maybe it sounds like a lot, but I have a lot of friends and people my age who tell me also like, yeah, I cry a few times a week and it's no big deal. I cry, get it out, and then I go go on my day. So I don't know. I'm just kind of like, change my perspective on crying from being like an actual sad thing to being more of like a relieving thing. I feel so much better after I cry sometimes. That's so impressive because I feel like, and maybe this is generational, I don't know, but I feel like I grew up with a sense of brute stoicism where like you don't cry. And it's not until recently where, I mean, my family is very transparent about things. Like my parents will you know, we joke that we just talk way too much. And it's not that we talk a lot in quantity, but in quality, like the depth when we have these conversations is there. So I would completely agree. I would say I cry 
you know, weekly. Sometimes it's just a little bit. Sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes I have no idea why it's happening, but it's definitely like a physical release. And I like the way that you describe it because I immediately thought of the San Andreas fault line and how people talk about like the the little earthquakes or help releasing tension from the big one. And maybe that's what we all need. Our bodies need like these little releases or these moments of just getting it out because you're hit the nail on the head. Crying is a part of the emotional response and it's a way for your like body to calm itself down and, you know, decrease the stress and emotion. I don't even know what I cried about. I I cry when I laugh a lot, actually. I think it's just like a natural, like my eyes just water. So, Well, I think that, wasn't there some study on like the the two um, physical functions of like crying and laughter are actually Mm -hmm. like very closely connected? Yes, like how a lot of people use laughter as a crutch. Not me, but. I do. do. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you use, yeah, your body needs like to basically convulse with laughter or convulse with tears in order to like release whatever inner emotion is going on. Yeah, maybe I'll try just like switching my like uncomfortable laughter to like an uncomfortable cry. (laughs) Well, I mean, on that point, like about um, crying being like more of a release, like I've found myself crying out of, I mean, it's, it's not even so much as what, what I would describe as sadness. It's like overwhelming feeling, just feeling. And it's a, a lot of the time it's good. It's like when my, she falls asleep on my chest and I just start crying because I'm like, how will I be able to remember how good this is? How could I possibly record it on my body and soul? How good this is so I can keep it forever. And it's not forever. It's fleeting, you know, so that that feeling has been very overwhelming to me and it has been the source of a lot of like tear, unexpected tears. But another thing I have um, like PMDD. So for like the longest time, every cycle literally, it, and it's been crippling, like to the point where I've, I've had to like identify and track my cycle that so that I can like understand when I'm having really PMDD is perimenstrual. Very menstrual. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, disorder? I think it's like dysphoric or, disorder or something. Here, yeah, basically it's like PMS to like the extreme, um, where I don't get like mean or catty or anything on my period, but I get like um, overwhelmingly like sad. Um, but I do like I follow. I'm able to kind of identify now that it's like certain things that I'll say when I'm like crying <laughs> in that. Um, where it's like, okay, wait, like there's something hormonal maybe going into the way I'm looking at this situation. Um, but I, I actually felt it to be kind of empowering to put a label on it and be like, okay, this is something that I have or that affects me. And um, now that I know, I can like own it a little bit and work with it. So I also have PMDD, Asha, <laughs> and we just feel it yeah, all, you it, know. <laughs> yeah, we we have all these feelings. One of the things that I think about a lot, I've thought about this deeply because when you have those ebbs and flows of emotion, it can be so overwhelming. And one of the things that I've realized is it's not there's a stigma, right, about PMS 
PMDD emotional, you know, emotional reaction centered around menstruation, which I think, you know, it's very stigmatized because it's not well understood and people just don't talk about women's health that um, freely yet. But the thoughts and feelings that you have when you're going through those cycles of PMDD, depression, or dysphoria are not unrealistic or um, unreal emotions. Like you can be sad and have feelings triggered during those cycles, but the PMDD inhibits your ability to self-regulate. So it's kind of like you have this rush of hormones where all of the normal issues are all there, like simmering under the surface always as they always are in life. But with uncontrolled PMDD, it's like it catches you to the point where you're no longer able to say like, oh yeah, this is myself. This is how I self-regulate. Like normally I would just meditate and say, no, this is not the logical way to deal with this. Whereas when you're deep in that cycle, it's happening and you're like, oh, it's overwhelming. I can't do anything about it. There's no hope. But, um, you know, I think one of the most empowering things, like you said, is being able to like name it and say, this is a real thing. This is something that I have. These are not unrealistic emotions. I just have to like reframe the way that I deal with them and self-regulate. And, you know, sometimes you might need medication. Sometimes you might need to like rewire those brain pathways by creating different different um what do you call it routines for yourself and even like having an accountability partner to some extent like I mean like my husband has been really helpful in that that I've I've you know he's been with me for a while now and has been through some of those cycles and you know between him and my mom who has also you know had that kind of cycle um they're able to kind of like ask questions without you know making it worse but it's helped to be like okay communicating to them that like I've I've identified that like okay when I'm in that zone I do have to get a cry out like the cry has to exit my body (laughs) you know it's here and it needs to exit um so whether it's about like I chopped the celery wrong or like I actually you know feel deeply about something the cry has to leave but I'm like okay what's helpful is a really good hug. <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you that, like, hey, this is a moment that hormones might be affecting. You know, when I tell you that, like, good hug. <laughs> and now he has that as a tool, and it works for me, and like, you know, helps you feel a little bit more like centered, balanced. Not not like you're floating away. Like not like you're floating into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. As much as like I could continue talking all night, I know that we promise an hour and we're at an hour and 30. So I think we should start with some closing questions. I I feel like you ha- you've had some really great questions for us, Jessica. So I would love like, do you have like one or two more that are like burning that we have, like we should talk about? Yeah. Okay. I have one question. I'd love to hear from you guys. You know, what is something you wish you could tell your younger self? Whether it be advice or just something you wish you had known as a young adult or a young female, like 
what's some advice you can give yourself? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, it is such a good question because it's thought provoking, but I also feel like a lot of the times the answer is like, you're beautiful. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's kind of like the go-to response, which I think is always true. You know, you look back at your younger self with a little bit more compassion and I don't know, to try to say something a little bit different. I feel like there are definite periods of my life from early childhood through like young adulthood where I feel like I took myself very seriously. You know, I really felt the need to to have everything make sense, you know, and have everything be a logical step to the next thing. And I think that I would have told my younger self to like do some stuff just for the heck of it, you know, like lean into the things that just feel wild and fun, you know, within, within reason, like don't harm yourself or others, but like, don't overthink it so much. You know, I I think I wouldn't take myself so seriously. That's a good one. I would echo that a thousand percent. I think especially, well, there's a couple of things I would tell myself. One, you're good enough because growing up with my biological mom, but with um, a non-biological dad who adopted you, I definitely struggled deeply with that, with really trying to understand a sense of self and trying to understand where I stood in the world. And then growing up in areas that I was always the minority, I... I really, even though at the time I presented myself okay and I was adaptable, I would still just have loved to hear um, and to know fully, like, you're good enough, you're okay, things are going to be okay. But also to try everything, to not be afraid of failure, to be wildly myself, and um, to not wear so much makeup and eyeliner. Like for sure. Oh, amen. Yeah. Also, like, don't tease your crown. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't cut those bangs. Don't let your mother cut those bangs. Don't let your mother Honestly, in like every situation. I mean, I some girls would look so good with bangs, but I would tell myself, like, don't you, do you the look bangs. good with bangs. Bangs. But um yeah. I hate them the second they're there. Yeah. I I would definitely tell my don't let your mom wash that Abercrombie jacket. Nope, don't put it in the dryer. <laughs> it's going to look like a drowned rat. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe when you, oh, this is a good one. When I first learned how to drive, I was driving my dad's Prius and we lived in a gated community. And it was like a couple months into having my license and the gate came down on the front of the car. And I was so shocked that my best thinking was to keep driving forward. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. You are a shark. <laughs> I was like, God, it can't stop now. <laughs> I'm I'm 10% through the gate. Why would I stop now? <laughs> Just commit. Commit to the wreckage. I fully committed. Drove right through the gate. <laughs> you know, I kind of love that, though. Just straight through adversity yeah i guess so (laughs) that you still have to deal with the consequences there's good or bad (laughs) yes what about you jessica oh that's so interesting i think mine's more 
strategical. I wish that my mom and my dad, whoever would have sat me down and talked to me straight up about money. I wish someone would have given me like, my parents are both very like, quiet about money and didn't want me to worry about that as a child. And I appreciate that. And I understand like what they were doing. But I wish someone had been like, hey, this is what a value the value of a dollar is and like, really stuck it to me like in, a, in that sense. But yeah, I have a, a lot of other like little things like you guys. Are <laughs> but really money. I think we dedicate in our next season an episode to talking straight up about money at all stages of a woman's life. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, what are some things that you still feel like you need to hear? I still wish that I would have had some class in college that explained taxes. Um, <laughs> I wish someone would have sat down and I wish I would have watched a YouTube video in college about how to do laundry. Like the most ridiculous things you were like, I can do this. Like, no worries. but. There's no, like, guide to it. Admittedly, I feel like at every stage of life, I still don't know. Like, I don't separate the whites from colors. Like, I don't really know. (laughs) 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 Like, at every stage, I feel like I'm still figuring it out. And I think that's the point and that's sort of at the heart of what we do and what we aim to do is there's life is so hard, right? Like life is so challenging. And on one hand, that makes it incredibly beautiful and wonderful. We're, we're all just striving to do our best at every stage in life. And so whether you're 22 or 32, 42 or 93, like my grandmother, she's hysterical and she still admits to making mistakes every day. Um, You're figuring it out. We have so much more in common than we think. And I think it's just exciting to be able to be on this journey together and to bring this all full circle and to be able to hear from you who, you know, you're just starting out, but you have this rich plethora of experiences and knowledge and curiosity and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Creativity, wonderment that you bring to the table. And that's a gift. And it's it's been a joy to chop it up with you. Yes. Thank you so much, Jessica. Um, this has been uh, everything I hoped for and more. We were thinking about like, how could we do something kind of special for our last episode and to bring you on and to know that you've been listening to um, this season and along with us for this journey has that just um it makes me feel so good and it's been such a delight to learn more about you and hear your story and the things you've been through and just your bravery and kindness and articulation so thank you for for being on this celebratory end of season episode with us jessica yeah thank you guys so much I mean, it's been such a joy and an honor to be in the presence of two such amazing and inspiring women. So thank you for all you do. Like season one wrap up. This has been awesome. I, I love your guys' podcast. I know there's there's so many young women out there who listen to this and really take away from it. I promise you that because I'm one of them. So thank you for all you do. Oh, my God. Thank you for saying that. 
Well, before we go, please tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah. So if you want to catch up with me and all my craziness, you can follow me at Jessica Galen. That's my personal profile on Instagram. Or if you want to catch up with the clay basket, which is my herbal oil little Etsy shop, it's literally at the clay basket on Instagram or the clay basket on Etsy. Either one. Awesome. We'll link it all in the show notes. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, everyone who's been listening to uh, this this awesome inaugural season. Um, we are already in the works on the next season, and it would be so helpful to hear, like, if you have specific guests we think we should um, bring on to the podcast. You have feedback. You've had favorite episodes. Please share any and all feedback with us. We are listening and um, everything we do, we do for you. (laughs) So (laughs) let us know. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers to an awesome first season. Thank you, everyone. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?